Hi, everybody. This is Gary Sandy, and thank you very much for listening to the WKRP cast. So just sit right down, relax, open your ears real wide, and say... Weather today in the greater Cincinnati area... Are you awake? Whoa! Are you awake now? But the senator, while insisting he was not intoxicated, could not explain his nudity. Say what? Dear God, she's going to kill us all. Welcome to the WKRP cast. My name is Alan Stair. And I'm Donna Stair. This is the fourth and final season of our week-by-week, episode-by-episode rewatch. Join us for this final season as we're getting into the music, the trivia, and the fun of WKRP. So, fellow babies, stay tuned and stay cool. It's time for the WKRP cast. I'm at WKRP in Cincinnati. Welcome back to the WKRP cast, our 87th episode, and we're finally getting around to filling in some details from the very first episode. What is our episode, Donna? We are ready to discuss creation of Venus. The air date was March 31st, 1982, written by Blake Hunter, story consultant, Lisa Levin, and directed by Gordon Jump. While Andy and Venus are playing jokes on each other at the radio station, Mama Carlson shows up. She had a meeting with Arthur, but he seems to have forgotten. Instead, she spends her time quizzing Andy and Venus. Venus lets it slip that he used to be a teacher. Andy and Venus tell Mama the story of how Venus went from school teacher Gordon Sims to DJ Venus Flytrap. This is a fun episode and one of my personal favorites. I'm fascinated by this idea of recreating the original scenes from the pilot episode and then filling in the story with other scenes from around the station. I was so fascinated, I may have gone a little overboard in my research. What? You get carried away with something? No. Uh, Okay, okay. So I was doing screen grabs from both this episode and the pilot episode. I wanted to be able to compare the scenes that were the same. What I found turned out to be pretty cool. We even managed to turn one of my discoveries into a special message from Tim Reed. You'll hear more about that later in the show. Blake Hunter, who wrote this episode, said he was inspired by a play called The Norman Conquests when it came to telling this story about Venus. He described it in the book America's Favorite Radio Station. The Norman Conquests was a 1973 series of three British plays. Each play told the same story over three nights of performances. It all takes place in a single house. The first night might take place in the living room. The second night, the story is told in the dining room. The third night, the garden. Blake said if a character left the living room to go to the dining room the first night at 9.30, they would enter the dining room the second night right at 9.30. Each play is self-contained and they can be viewed in any order. It's not until after you see all three nights that you're able to fill in the complete story. Blake is filling in holes from the pilot by giving us the backstory of Venus's first experiences in Cincinnati. He claims he didn't do it nearly as well as they did in the Norman Conquest, but it was his premise. In this version of the story, we get Venus's perspective right up to his first meeting with Mama, 
which happened in the final minutes of the pilot. We see that meeting again, only this time Mama is being played by Carol Bruce, and everyone in the room is four years older than they were the first time they did these scenes. There's even a recreation of the birth of Dr. Johnny Fever. This is a technically complex episode. Shooting on current sets while recreating original scenes from the pilot seemed like a tall order. It's the kind of thing where you'd want an experienced director at the helm, like a Rod Daniel or an Assad Kalata, right? You'd think that, but this is WKRP. Instead of going with a seasoned directing vet, we've got the big guy himself, Gordon Jump, in his first ever directing assignment. And he has to perform in several key scenes. We think maybe it's no surprise this is also the only time Gordon Jump will ever direct in his entire career. The huge amount of work involved in making this one episode happen may have caused him to swear off directing. He did an amazing job, but it had to be exhausting. When we can, we're going to compare the original pilot scenes to the recreation scenes. We found some fun stuff, and we've got some great stories to go along with our discoveries. So, let's get into the episode. I can imagine Gordon going, "Uh uh-uh, that's it. Put that one in the can. He's like, I'm never doing that again. I'm just going to act. We begin this episode in a candlelit studio. Now, since we're starting out in the studio, we figured there'd be a poster watch, but we didn't see anything new this week. We can see through the studio window, it's dark outside, and Venus is on the air. And now the shadows of evening wrap their silken arms around the troubles of the day, my children. This is Venus, all alone up here in the night, riding the chariots of fire. And keeping watch over your dreams, and maybe even a stray fantasy or two. Here's the magnificence of Mr. Ernie Watts. Andy walks by the studio window. He looks in at Venus. Once the song starts, Andy opens the studio door. He throws a piece of wadded-up paper at Venus, hitting him in the head. Andy then flips on the lights before walking away. We know how much Venus loves having his studio lights turned on. The song Venus went into was the theme to the 1981 movie Chariots of Fire, as played by Ernie Watts. Ernie Watts is an American jazz and rhythm and blues sax player from Norfolk, Virginia. In 1982, he put out his own Chariots of Fire album on Quincy Jones's Q West Records. The original Chariots of Fire theme from Vangelis went to number one in 1982. This version from Watts did not chart. Okay, now you were calling me a party pooper earlier, but people say <laughs> people say they like it when we mention things about how it really was in a radio station. So I've got a quick note about throwing things in a radio studio where records are being played. It's an absolute no-no. The slightest jostle, a piece of paper landing on the tone arm could cause the record to skip and could even make the tone arm just slide completely off the platter. Roughhousing in the studio was also frowned upon. If you bump that counter where the turntables are mounted, you're definitely going to get a skip that goes out over the air. Now, we understand keeping the mood light around the station, but 
Andy should know better than to throw anything around a turntable. Venus grabs the wad of paper and runs <laughs> after Andy. Andy, you're messing with fire! This seems to be an ongoing battle, possibly extending over multiple nights. Venus sticks his head into the studio hallway, looking both ways before crossing to the bullpen. Venus yells as he opens the bullpen door. No one is there, and the bullpen is dark. <laughs> Venus goes on in. In the studio hallway, we see Andy tiptoeing to the studio door. He goes in, then quickly rolls the DJ chair out of the studio. He turns off the lights as he leaves. Andy heads upstage through the door at the end of the hallway and turns right, pushing the chair ahead of him. It's kind of like capture the flag. He's taken a trophy. <laughs> so Venus appears coming from the left side of the hallway where Andy just went to the right. So if you think about it, Venus would have seen Andy running down the hall in front of him. But Andy it makes, is swift. Yeah, it makes for a funny visual. Venus runs to the studio giving a yell as he opens the door. Hey, it's got my chair. <laughs> <laughs> Venus crosses to the bullpen. Andy is back in the studio hallway. He looks through the studio window. The hallway and studio are both empty. And as Andy comes through the door at the end of the hallway, we realized there is something new here. It's time for a hallway poster watch. Yay! Okay, so we've seen everything at the camera end of the hallway, ACDC, Quarter Flash, Craftwork, Whispers, Sammy. We've covered it all at this end. Through the door at the other end of the hallway, we see the dramatic, oversized, black and white head of a curly-haired fellow with piercing eyes. This is Lindsey Buckingham of Fleetwood Mac, out on his own with his first solo album called Law and Order. This was a weird period for the whole Buckingham-Fleetwood Mac relationship. Lindsay was technically still in the band while making solo albums. This solo album includes guest vocals by Christine McVie and drumming from Mick Fleetwood. Buckingham played all of the other instruments on the album. The single Trouble, which goes to number nine on the Hot 100, features drumming from Fleetwood. I think I'm in trouble. Buckingham does play on the 1982 Fleetwood Mac album Mirage and on 1987's Tango in the Night. After Tango, he leaves the Mac for 10 years. Andy opens the bullpen door and peeks in. He thinks he has Venus right where he wants him. Smiling, he goes back to the studio, opens the studio door and squats behind it. We can see him on this side of the door waiting for Venus to come from the other end of the hallway. A figure comes around the door. Andy grabs the figure around the legs, thinking he's tackling Venus. He takes this person down to the floor. Gotcha! The person Andy just tackled sits up. Uh-oh! Andy <laughs> discovers he has just tackled Mama Carlson. Oops. Yeah, Mrs. Carlson puts her fur stole back around her neck as Andy's helping her to her feet. And a big kudos to 61-year-old Carol Bruce playing Mama Carlson. She seems to have taken the tackle from Gary Sandy and actually dropped to her knees. No stand-ins or trick photography involved. It's all Ms. Bruce doing her own stunts. Mama looks thoroughly disgusted. 
Andy gets out a really breathy... (laughs) Daggers are shooting from Lillian's eyes, and as Andy prays he's not fired, we head into our theme. WKRP in Cincinnati. We come back to the studio hallway where a very angry Mrs. Carlson is giving it to Andy. Have you lost your mind? Yes, ma'am. Yes, I... I think I have lost my mind, uh, just just for a second there, though, but uh, I think I'm okay now. Well, if you're going to grab me, do it nicely, in the back seat of my robe. <laughs> Mrs. Carlson laughs, and Andy looks a bit more relaxed. Mama Carlson with the one-liner, ever since her comment about nice hair, nice teeth, and her joking around in love, exciting and new. Let's run away together. <laughs> what? To Los Angeles. They'll understand there. We thought Lillian had a bit of a wild side and maybe a soft spot for Andy. Venus, hearing the grab me comment, pops his head out from behind the open studio door. Hi. (laughs) She's smiling, looking back and forth from Andy to Mrs. Carlson. Andy apologizes again, saying he and Venus were just playing a little game, that's all. Mrs. Carlson nods her head. You two go around grabbing each other. Oh, yeah. No, no. No, no, just to, no, just to relieve the tension. What tension? You don't feel it? <laughs> yeah, I, I think that tension was being created by Mrs. Carlson. She looks at Venus, then back to Andy. Why isn't Mr. Flytrap on the air? That's a darn good question. Excuse me. Venus walks right between Andy and Mrs. Carlson to head back into the studio. Andy shuts the door. We're still hearing chariots of fire on the monitor, so Venus was at least listening, and there's no dead air. An uncomfortable Andy asks Mrs. Carlson if he could get her a cup of coffee. Where's my son? I had an appointment to meet him here at 6.30. Andy tells Mrs. Carlson he must have forgotten and gone on home. He's had so much on his mind lately. uh... (laughs) Andy tries to encourage Mrs. Carlson to come out into the lobby. There's no sense in you hanging around this old hallway here. uh... Andy is motioning for Mrs. Carlson to follow him as he begins walking to the exit. He'll be back if he knows what's good for him. <laughs> Mrs. Carlson goes to the studio window and looks in at Venus. Andy walks up behind her. Yeah, I can see that you're interested. Uh, how about if I show you how things work around here? Andy opens the studio door. I think I've just seen how things work. William <laughs> Carlson has owned and operated WKRP since at least 1954, We're pretty sure she knows how things work in the booth. To humor Andy, she steps into the candlelit studio. Top of the evening to you fine folks. As Carlson says hello, Andy turns on the lights and begins the tour of the studio. All right, Miss Carlson, let's see. Now, uh, first of all, this is what we call the board. Very complicated stuff here. Venus reaches over and turns the volume up. Aha, did you see that? (laughs) Mrs. Carlson is not amused. Uh, The two turntables here, Venus can cue up a record on one turntable. As you can see, the record is playing on the other turntable. Uh, Show the mic. Venus pulls the mic out on its extendable arm. Ta-da! There's the microphone. (laughs) Andy smiles as he presents the microphone to Mrs. Carlson. With a sour expression, she takes her gloves off and slaps them into the palm of her hand. She steps to where the consoles meet and leans on them. And now, uh, you know just about as much as uh, we do. Andy stands with his hands in his pockets. Venus is beside him, standing ramrod straight. Both are looking at Mrs. Carlson 
and waiting. That glove slap in the palm is really kind of threatening. It's intimidating. Very she, intimidating. She comes, she comes off with these very intimidating moves oh, all, yeah. all the time. So Mrs. Carlson looks them both up and down. She's noticed the missing DJ chair. <laughs> Where does he sit? Andy and Venus are speechless. I see. Mrs. Carlson, this is not what it seems. If you would give me a chance oh, to Oh, knock explain. it off, Andrew. I have a sense of humor. In fact, I'm known for my hearty guffaw. Mama begins walking to the studio door. Then she turns to Andy. You know, I haven't had an amusing experience like this since... Well, since I fired your predecessor. <laughs> Mama Carlson getting all passive-aggressive on us with threats of firing. Venus and Andy are both laughing nervously. Just a little horseplay here. That was all. Just two guys playing horse. Boogity, boogity. <laughs> when Venus said boogity, we said, huh? Well, it turns out boogity seems to have been coined in the African-American community in the early 20th century. It's most likely derived from the word boogie. Most meanings of boogity involve moving quickly. Venus's reference might have something to do with the chubby checker number one hit, Pony Time, from 1961. In it, checker repeats boogity in the chorus. Get with it! also seems to have southern roots. You can hear Jerry Reed say it in the 1977 movie Smokey and the Bandit. I'm the brother of a truck driving mother. Boogity, 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 boogity. Former NASCAR driver turned announcer Dara Waltrip uses three boogities as a catchphrase. Go DW! Boogity, boogity, boogity! Let's go right before it million dollars, boys! One more time! Waltrip says his boogities were inspired by the number one 1974 novelty smash, by Ray Stevens called The Streak. Exactly the kind of thing I'm really going to miss when we're all done with the series, looking up the history of boogity <laughs> and finding all the clips of people saying boogity. boogity. <laughs> so after Venus's comment, Mama smiles and gives a quiet laugh. Well, he started it. <laughs> Andy's looking at Venus, pointing at Andy. Mrs. Carlson says she knew Mr. Travis liked games. But you, Mr. Flytrap, well, I thought you were more conservative. Andy agrees, saying he's a very conservative guy. Uh, you should have seen me four years ago when I was teaching school in New Orleans. I used to wear three pieces. Four of- years ago, you were a school teacher. Whoops. And Venus looks like a kid caught with his hand in the cookie jar. When I hired you four years ago, you told me you were a disc jockey. Actually, he told Sylvia Sidney he was a disc jockey, but we'll get into that in a moment. Venus admits he was only part-time at the time. You said your audience in New Orleans was the biggest. I remember the quote. Well, And Mr. Travis here confirmed the fact. I ever did clear up that little misunderstanding? No, you didn't. Mrs. Carlson takes the stool, sets it firmly in front of Andy and Venus, and has a seat. Since I have to wait... 
for my son to realize what day it is. <laughs> Why don't you tell me all about it? Venus and Andy are standing stiffly in front of Mrs. Carlson, not saying anything. It just has the feel of two guilty kids standing in front of the principal. Well, I'm waiting. Yeah, well, I guess I should start from the beginning. It better be good. We're counting on you, you nuts. <laughs> Venus hits Andy in the arm as he walks over to the album shelves. He's getting himself out of the line of fire. Andy takes a deep breath and begins. You see, Miss Girls, when I first came to Cincinnati, I had gotten kind of tired of uh, packing and unpacking town to town, up and down the dial. <laughs> so let's just say I knew I was here to stay. And I never, ever wanted to leave. Andy is, of course, quoting lines from the WKRP theme song, which, in his world, would not be a song he's ever heard. We've had episode titles borrow lines from the theme, but we think this is the first time a character has quoted from it. The screen fades, and it's flashback time. Remember, all of the flashbacks are being recreated. It seems we're at Andy's apartment. We've been to Andy's apartment one other time during the episode Love Returns. This is a good recreation. Andy's landlady does not seem to be happy with him. A lady who is about as wide as she is tall <laughs> is in Andy's face. What do you mean, break the lease? You're here for good. Oh, uh, did I say break? I think maybe that was the wrong word there, man. Oh, you bet your New Mexico buns it is. <laughs> the landlady comes into the apartment, slamming the door behind her. She walks towards Andy, and he starts walking backwards. Mrs. Murphy, the landlady, is being played by Nora Boland. Nora is Canadian, originally from Hamilton, Ontario. She was born in December of 1929. Nora had one appearance on General Hospital in 1963, but that was it for 14 years. She really started her career at age 48 with an appearance on Police Story in 1977. Nora would accumulate 28 total IMDb credits in both movies and TV shows until 1991. Her less than five foot height and round physique made her a perfect character actor. A fun WKRP crossover, Nora had a small part in the 1980 TV movie about the life of Jane Mansfield, which starred Lonnie Anderson. In later years, Nora appeared frequently on stage in California. She passed away in 2008 at the age of 78. She may be less than five feet tall, but she is threatening. Andy keeps walking backwards as his landlady advances. He and the landlady are eventually standing at the couch. Oh, come right on in here. How'd you like a diet soda? The landlady gives Andy an angry look. That's not to say that you need a diet soda. <laughs> Would you, would you like maybe a beer? That'd be good. She tells him, okay. But it's not going to do you any good. One beer, come right on. And the landlady sits on Andy's couch. Come to think of it, it's not going to do me any good either. <laughs> she begins to laugh loudly. She is her own best audience. Nora has an Edie McClurg kind of energy, and she's great at whipping back and forth between really goofy and then deadly serious and kind of threatening. It's almost like she's unbalanced. Yeah. It's she's kind of scary. She's been landladying too long. <laughs> Andy walks over and sits next to her on the couch. He tells her he has come 2,000 miles to a job well, it's just not working out. Now, you know how that is. No. <laughs> she looks at Andy with a serious expression. You said something about a beer? Andy tells her one beer coming up. 
He heads to the kitchen. Could you make it two? <laughs> Andy tells her, two beers coming up. Uh, ma'am, I know I signed that lease and everything, but if this job doesn't work out at that radio station, I just might have to... I just might have to get right on back to Santa Fe. He's getting no sympathy. Andy disappears into the kitchen. Andy comes back from the kitchen empty-handed. He starts scanning the room looking for beer. Ah, here. <laughs> he pulls out a carton of six from a paper bag. They were just sitting right there on the floor. He hands them all to the landlady. It's a little warm, but take the whole thing. <laughs> hey, that's very nice of you. I'll save these for Masterpiece Theater. <laughs> she begins to laugh. Andy joins her on the couch, laughing along with her. I tell you, that, that Alistair Cook's a real cut-up, isn't it? <laughs> the landlady mentioned having the beer with Masterpiece Theater. Sounds like a good idea. Masterpiece Theater, now just Masterpiece, is still on the air. And in their 51st season. The word theater was dropped from the title in 2008. The original Masterpiece Theater went on the air in 1971. It was a production of WGBH out of Boston, and it aired nationally on PBS. Masterpiece Theater was basically a repackaging of the best of British television. All the adaptations and anthologies featured on Masterpiece Theater had previously appeared on the BBC or one of the commercial British networks. Each Masterpiece Theater offering has a presenter or host. The original Masterpiece Theater featured Alastair Cook as the sole presenter from 1971 through 1992. Cook is really the only host whose name has ever been tied to the show. Good evening. I'm Alastair Cook. Tonight we begin a new series called Poldark, which is based on four novels by Winston Graham and runs to 16 episodes. Cook was a British-American journalist, personality, and broadcaster. Although Cook was involved in television and broadcasting for 42 years, he's probably best known for his 22 years as host of Masterpiece Theatre. Cook was not known to be a cut-up. Andy's having trouble getting his landlady to understand his problem. He tries a different approach. I really appreciate your listening to the ramblings of an oh-so-very-unhappy man. <laughs> he puts his arm around the landlady's shoulders as he continues talking. And I thank you so much for your understanding in this matter here. The landlady looks at Andy's hand on her shoulder. The sweet talking does not seem to be working. The lease is a lease, Mr. Travis. It's God's law. She tries to stand, but Andy grabs her arm and roughly pulls her back down on the couch. The landlady is sitting with the six-pack of beer in her lap. It's pretty obviously Budweiser, but they've covered the logos. Taking a recognizable product and making it generic like this is called product displacement in the TV production industry. They could have made up special packaging with their own brand of beer, but it's faster, easier, and cheaper to just obscure the logos of something existing. It's not illegal to show a product logo on a TV show, but there are reasons why you wouldn't want visible logos if you're a TV producer. Big brand names will probably charge you. Using a recognizable logo could mean a licensing fee for displaying it. Big advertisers probably have greater name recognition than your TV show or movie, so they see it like they've given an endorsement to your show if their logo is visible. 
So they want paid for it. Another common reason for hiding logos is to not offend advertisers, even future syndication advertisers. Imagine if Andy were to hand his landlady a six of Budweiser in 1982. It might be fine for the network airing, but what about later? Fast forward 13 years. Maybe the local Grand Rapids Miller distributor is running ads in this episode in syndication in 1995. If Andy pulls out this six with visible logos, it looks like Andy prefers Bud over Miller, and he's going against the advertisers. It's just easier all the way around if no logos are ever visible. Unless, of course, it's product placement. There is a knock on Andy's apartment door. He tells his landlady to make herself comfortable as he gets up to answer the door. Venus greets him with a huge smile and a handshake. Andy, oh, you man. nut! Thank you so much for coming. How you doing? Gordon Sims, this is my landlady here, Mrs. Murphy. Howdy. Now, let's take a look at Venus's vibin' threads. Venus is wearing a blue-gray three-piece suit with a white dress shirt and a white pocket square. He is wearing a maroon tie with diagonal stripes, and he is looking good. Venus says hello to Mrs. Murphy. Andy tells Mrs. Murphy that Gordon is a disc jockey. He's going to help out at the station where Andy works. Aww. <laughs> so sorry to hear that, Mr. Sims. <laughs> we then get a hilarious visual bit. Andy's couch is pretty low. Mrs. Murphy begins rocking back and forth, working up the momentum to stand. She puts her arms in the air. Come on, help me up, boys. Come on. Andy and Venus pull Mrs. Murphy up out of the couch. Now, I've got a business to run, and I, I can't feel sorry for every poor louse who comes around. Andy opens the door for her. As she leaves, she turns to look at them both. Thanks for the lift. <laughs> Mrs. Murphy leaves. Andy closes the door and turns to Venus. What do you mean by, oh, don't you worry about that, hey, man. It's good to see you. Andy and Venus hug each other, and Andy tells Venus he was afraid he wouldn't come. Are you kidding? <laughs> this is where I get my big break, man, a DJ full-time. Andy reaches up and straightens Venus's tie as he tells Venus he deserves it. Yeah, a little scary to come to work for a top-ranked station and all. Hmm, <laughs> Andy may not have been entirely truthful with his good friend. Andy tells Venus to have a seat. Tomorrow morning, I gotta tell you, I'm gonna make a little format change here. I'm gonna take this down and out radio station. This pops up from the couch. Down and out? <laughs> Andy motions for Venus to just sit down. Venus does, but his excitement has faded. I heard you on that station in New Orleans. I knew you had it, but they didn't know what to do with it. Venus turns and asks, what? You! Oh, is it part-time? Saturday mornings? That's all wrong for your kind of music. Andy leans down next to Venus. Now listen, I'm telling you, I know how to program you right. Andy waves his hand in the air, meaning for Venus to look into space and imagine. Gordon Sims and the sounds of the night. Venus is smiling, then looks at Andy and says to hold it. I don't use my real name. That's right, of course. Nobody does. You shouldn't. Now, okay, so maybe it's not as bad as nobody uses their real name on the air, but there were quite a few DJs in the 70s and 80s who, like John Caravella, did not go on the air with their real names. Sometimes it was just a sound thing or a cool thing. Your name wasn't cool enough for a rock and roll station, so you changed it. Sometimes it was a format thing. A DJ on a rock station could go with a hot rock and roll kind of name. Next year, if he gets a gig at a beautiful music station, 
He changes to something format appropriate. Some DJs were also running away from bad ratings or bad situations. Like Johnny said... So, at that point, uh, the ratings book came out and they fired me on the spot. (laughs) That's when I started changing my name, see? Bad book, no name. (laughs) He wasn't exaggerating by much. Stations used to post all FCC operator licenses in the hallway or entryway of the station. For rock stations with crazy air personality names, it was always fun to read the licenses to see the real names of the guys who were on the air. And he asked Venus what name he was using in New Orleans. Venus smiles and says proudly, The Duke of Funk. (laughs) And he looks at Venus and repeats, Duke of Funk. A little bit of a sneer. Venus nods. Andy tells him they need something a little more cosmic than that. What is your sign? Who wants to know? What is your sign? Libra. Libra. That stinks. Venus sits up and looks at Andy. It does not. It's a love sign ruled by Venus. Andy gives Venus a look and slowly stands up. That's perfect. Your new name is Venus. Venus stands up. I don't know how to tell you this, but Venus is a girl's name. You know that real white lady with no arms? (laughs) Venus puts his hands behind his back and clasps them together, so he looks as if he has no arms. (laughs) Andy laughs, and he tells him Venus has that cosmic feel to it. Couldn't I have a cosmic name for a boy like Pluto? (laughs) Andy tells him that's a dog's name. Mercury. That guy brings flowers. Wow, these guys are throwing out a ton of stuff we need to get into. First off, the real white lady with no arms is the Venus de Milo. It's a Greek sculpture housed in the Louvre in Paris since its rediscovery in 1820. The Venus de Milo was sculpted sometime between 150 and 125 BC by Alexandros of Antioch. The original sculpture had two arms, two feet, and both earlobes intact. In a fun twist, the statue most likely depicts Aphrodite, the Greek goddess of love. Her Roman counterpart was Venus. It was a Greek statue, but it wound up captured by Romans, and the naming got messed up over the centuries. Some scholars call the statue Aphrodite de Milo. And Venus was her name. She's got- I was shocked to find out that the Venus de Milo is 6'8". It's an oversized statue. She's wow. six foot eight inches tall. I'm your Venus. I'm your fire at your desire. When Andy says Mercury brings flowers, he's referring to the famous logo for international florist FTD. FTD originally stood for Florist Telegraph Delivery. Developed in 1910, it was an amazing system that allowed a person to send flowers anywhere in the world with a single phone call or telegram. FTD would simply send your order by telegraph to a florist in the town where you wanted a flower delivery. Mercury first appeared on FTD's logo all the way back in 1910. In 1965, they changed the company name to Florist's Trans World Delivery. By the mid-1960s, the telegraph was no longer a hip technology, but long-distance flower delivery was still very popular. 
The full name was also dropped from the logo, and they went with FTD for the company name. A stylized version of Mercury can still be seen in their logo today. If Venus is a Libra, it means he was born sometime between September 23rd and October 22nd. They're right, a Libra's ruling planet is Venus. Libra is an air sign represented by scales. Libra is perfect as a sign for Venus. Libras are fixated on balance and harmony. They try to create equilibrium in all areas of life. This could not be better for Mr. Yin Yang with his gong and coffee mug. We decided to see if this sign thing might extend to Tim. Tim Reed is not a Libra. Tim was born on December 19th, which makes him a Sagittarius. Interestingly, Sagittarius is a perfect sign for Tim Reed. It's a fire sign. According to How Stuff Works, those born under Sagittarius feel the need to make a contribution to society through their work or ideals. They have a commitment to personal goals and are often success stories. Tim Reed is most definitely a Sagittarius. But he plays a good Libra. <laughs> Andy asks Venus what he thinks of when he hears the name Venus. Flytrap. <laughs> Plant that eats bugs? Don't be an idiot. Okay, now think. Venus what? Venus, uh, Venus... Rising! Uh, rising. <laughs> Andy tells Venus he loves it. You talk about love... And you talk about the stars, man, and you will be famous. Venus smiles and asks Andy if he thinks it'll work. Andy tells Venus, absolutely. And when I make that format change tomorrow morning, you and I, pal, are here to stay. There is a noise and the door opens. Mrs. Murphy just very casually pops right back in. Maybe it's the beers or, or maybe my heart's bigger than my head, but oh well, hell... You can get out of your lease. Yeah. Venus gives Andy a concerned look. Yeah, let's talk about this later, all right? Andy begins closing the door, causing Mrs. Murphy to slowly back up. Well, suit yourself, but this warm feeling may not last. Yeah. <laughs> Andy smiles at Mrs. Murphy, gently pushing her out and closing the door. Venus walks towards Andy. And if you're so sure of yourself, why are you trying to get out of your lease? Another thing, Venus, that suit has got to go. What? It's wrong for the image. Venus tells Andy, this is radio. You can't see radio. Yeah, but you can feel it. And we're going to do this new format with style and grace and class. All the way. Wow, Andy is quite the salesman. What a pitch. We transition to the studio with a close-up of a hand on the tone arm. What's going on? It's playing a record. Then we hear... Yes, All right, Cincinnati, it is time for this town to get down. Now you got Johnny. Dr. Johnny Fever. And I am burning up in here. There is a cut to continuity in the lobby where Jennifer's at her desk drinking coffee. She lowers the cup to the desk when she hears Johnny over the lobby speakers. Uh, woo! Woo! Jennifer puts her hand up over her heart. The shots in the station continue throughout this recut version of the doctor's original message. Johnny's iconic first speech as Dr. Johnny Fever is something any good WKRP fan has tattooed in his brain. Here, Howard Hessman is recreating the moment with a slight change. In the pilot, Hugh Wilson had inadvertently made WKRP a 50,000-watt AM radio station. 
he didn't realize the biggest, most famous, most successful radio stations in any market and in the country were the 50,000-watt stations. Local AM stations, especially ones like WKRP that are number 16 in the market, are never 50,000-watt stations. They'd made the correction to the coverage map by Pilot Part 2, but they didn't touch it in the pilot. Howard Hasman makes the adjustment here. This is Johnny from 1978. Now, I am talking about your 50,000-watt intensive care unit, babies! And don't miss his update in the recreated scene. Now, I am talking about your 5,000-watt intensive care unit, babies! We also noticed in the close-up of Johnny's hand on the record, they're using the new turntables. When the entire production moved from KTLA over to the Radford Studios at the start of the second season, they got some cool new turntables. After comparing screenshots, it looks like the old oversized turntables stayed at KTLA, even for the flashback. Johnny is doing his introductory scratch this time around on the new tables. Johnny continues, we cut to the bullpen where Herb is at his desk. The monitors are on in the bullpen and we get to see their reactions to Johnny's bit. We definitely didn't see this scene in the pilot because we didn't have a bullpen until the eighth episode of the first season. It's nice to know the bullpen was there. We just hadn't seen it yet. Herb looks over at Les with a worried expression. But you can tell me where it hurts because I got the healing prescription. Les looks up from his teletype machine, then looks over at the speaker on the wall. There is another cut to the studio hallway. From the big KRP musical medicine cabinet. Andy and Bailey are listening. Andy's really enjoying it. This is what he wanted. Bailey is smiling as Johnny continues his patter. There's another cut, and we find ourselves in Mr. Carlson's office. I am talking about your 5,000-watt intensive care unit, baby. Art's leaning back in his chair, feet up on his desk. A magazine is across his belly, and his hands are clasped over it. His eyes are closed. So, sit right down. We see Art's eyebrows raise, his eyes open, and he's looking towards the wall speaker. Relax, open your ears real wide, and say, Give it to me straight, doctor. I can take care. Johnny begins playing Queen of the Forest by Ted Nugent. We end this scene the same as we did in 1978 with a shot of Johnny dancing in the studio, holding the mic on its extendable arm and swinging it all around. This new dance is really cut short when compared to the original. We don't get Johnny's famous afterthought. I almost forgot, fellow babies. Booger! You know what we didn't do two years ago, the first time we reviewed the WKRP pilot? We didn't tell you anything about Ted Nugent's Queen of the Forest. So taking advantage of the recreation, here goes. Queen of the Forest is the last cut on Ted Nugent's debut album. It was his first solo effort after the breakup of his band, the Amboy Dukes. The 1975 album was called simply... Ted Nugent. It will go to number 28 on the Billboard album chart. This album kicks off with the eight-minute guitar opus, Stranglehold. Ted's solo from Stranglehold is ranked the 31st greatest guitar solo in history by Guitar World magazine.
Queen of the Forest was never released as a single, and truth be told, it's probably most famous as Dr. Johnny Fever's first song on WKRP. We cut to the lobby. There's been a time jump. Jennifer is now sitting at her desk. Just What the Doctor Ordered by Ted Nugent is playing over the lobby speaker. Mr. Carlson comes walking quickly through the door, coming from the bullpen. He is followed closely by Herb and Les. Remember in the pilot, this is just after Carlson broke up Andy's staff meeting in the programming office. Herb, Les, follow me. Travis, you're fired. Good move, big guy. (laughs) Johnny's gone into another Ted Nugent cut called Just What the Doctor Ordered. We were a little worried back during the pilot episode when Andy handed Johnny such a small stack of albums to kick off this new format. Eh, it sounds like Johnny's trying to make the most of what he has. This cut comes from the same album as Queen of the Forest. Looking at the title, we're wondering how they've never used this one before. It's perfect for the newly anointed Dr. Fever. This is the last cut on side one of Ted Nugent's self-titled debut. Just What the Doctor Ordered was also not released as a single. As Les, Herb, and the big guy make their way across the lobby, we realize it's it's time. time. Herb Darling, fashion alert. Herb is wearing a dark blue blazer with brown suede elbow patches. Under it, he's got a white dress shirt and a maroon tie with white dots. Well, this isn't bad. But then we get a look at his pants. The pants Herb's wearing are white, light gray, and dark gray plaid. They don't go with the jacket at all. The coat, shirt, and tie are the same as what Herb was wearing in the pilot. But these pants are something new, and they are something. Travis is a dead man. He's one no one guy. I'll say. Mr. Carlson <laughs> stops at his office door and points to Jennifer. When Mother gets here, tell her we threw Travis off the roof. The three of them go into Mr. Carlson's office and close the door. Andy comes running through the door, headed to Mr. Carlson's office. How's it going, Andy? Hold my calls. Andy opens Carlson's office door and runs inside, slamming the door behind him. Now, as the three stooges, or I mean the three radio (laughs) executives, make their way across the lobby, we wanted to pause for a moment and take a close look at this recreated lobby. The original lobby was pretty small. Look at the space between the coffee maker and the jam of Art's office door. It's only a couple of feet in the pilot. After the first season hiatus, both the lobby and Carlson's office got quite a bit bigger. When we saw the smaller lobby in this recreation, we got to wondering, is this the old set? Did they bring the old lobby over from KTLA? Well, we decided this was definitely a Max question. Max Tash was the coordinating producer in season four. He also worked on every single episode of WKRP. We threw this one to Max. Are those the old set panels? According to Max, no, this is not the old set. It's actually an entirely new set. Max said when they rebuilt during the hiatus in season one, they used the old set panels 
to make the bigger lobby. Then, when they moved to Radford in Season 2, those panels were trucked, as Max says, over the hill from KTLA to Radford. For this episode, they rebuilt the original lobby to the size it was in the pilot and put it in front of the much larger fourth season lobby set. If you do a side-by-side comparison, you can see the font used for the word Cincinnati on the wall above the coffee maker is a little different here than it was in the pilot. Also, the color scheme of the walls is definitely different than the pilot. So the verdict from Max Tash, this is a great recreation of the pilot-sized lobby, but this is not the original set. Thanks, Max. We love quizzing Max because... Max knows things. The phone rings and Jennifer answers. Although the format of the station just changed, the way she answers the phone has not. We've always thought Andy kind of jumped the gun on the whole format change. This new and hilarious detail is further proof of Mr. Travis not thinking it all the way through. Which brings us to... The line of the episode. WKRP. Soothing sounds for senior citizens. (laughs) And what makes this line even funnier is hearing the Ted Nugent rocking out behind her. (laughs) The soothing sounds are no more. Jennifer continues with the caller. No, this is not the emergency broadcast system. Why are you telling me all this? As Jennifer hangs up the phone, Bailey comes into the lobby. Bailey's holding out some folded bills. Oh, you were right, Jennifer. He didn't even last till noon. Oh, Bailey, I hate to take your money, but... Okay. As Jennifer reaches for the money, Bailey pulls her hand back and puts the money into her sweater pocket. Now, they're making it sound like the format changed happened on Andy's first day. It actually took place at least on day two. We know that because in the pilot, he's wearing a different shirt. Bailey looks at Jennifer a little put out. We finally get a chance to turn this mortuary around. I don't know why everybody is so scared of a little old lady. If she were my mother, I'd duke her out. Cue Mama Carlson. Mrs. Carlson, as played by Carol Bruce, walks into the lobby and orders Bailey to... Turn that off. Yes, (laughs) ma'am. Bailey quickly turns off the wall monitor. Jennifer is smiling at Bailey. After all that tough talk, she completely collapses when face-to-face with Mama. Lillian doesn't even pause as she sweeps through the lobby and on into Art's office. Bailey looks at Jennifer a bit sheepishly. She's not my mother. (laughs) (laughs) That'd be like stopping a hurricane or something as she's sweeping through that lobby. Venus comes into the lobby just behind Mrs. Carlson. Now, hold on a minute here. Wouldn't those two have come up on the elevator together? We know from fire... There's only one elevator, and Venus came in right behind her. So maybe he stopped off in the men's room to double-check the threads and build up his self-confidence a little bit. And speaking of threads, wow. Venus is dressed to kill in his original Venus outfit from Pilot Part 1. Think for a minute about something we learned in this episode. Gordon did not have this outfit last night. This means he bought the whole thing off the rack somewhere in Cincinnati, either late last night or first thing this morning. Hey, you know what we weren't doing back during Pilot Part 1? Now, let's take a look at Venus's vibin' threads. Venus is wearing a wide-brimmed felt hat with a metallic gold band around it. 
He has a white scarf tied around his neck. His shirt is gray with a light crosshatch pattern. The fedora is maroon and matches the maroon suit jacket and wide-legged maroon pants. He's wearing a full-length snow leopard faux fur draped over his shoulders. This is the kind of look from the first season that originally inspired the Vibe and Threads feature. By the second season, Venus is still stylish, but he starts to tone down the wardrobe quite a bit. Jennifer gives Venus the once-over when he comes up to her desk. Well, you're probably looking for the dance studio upstairs. (laughs) His mouth is just hanging open as she looks at Venus. No, I need to see my man. Which man is yours? The dude's name is Travis. Uh Uh-huh. Well, I'm afraid the dude is in conference right now. (laughs) Venus tells him he's cool. Jennifer smiles at him. I'm sure you are. (laughs) And this is the second mention of a 15th floor and of a dance studio up there. The only other time we've heard about it was during airplane show. I should be up there. On the 15th floor? It's a dance studio. (laughs) We've been to Cincinnati. We stayed on the 14th floor of the Flim Building, and it's on top. We can guarantee you there is no 15th floor. And no dance studio. Yeah, we cleared that one up definitively. (laughs) Just check our Facebook page. I'm the new nighttime DJ. Oh, dear. (laughs) The oh, dear causes Venus to lean down close to Jennifer. Beg your pardon? I mean, say what? (laughs) (laughs) I love that recovery. Jennifer introduces herself and Bailey. He tells them he is Venus rising. Oh, how do we tell him? Just say it. I can take it. Your dude is about to be on the first stage out of town. Venus looks like he's about to be sick. Where's the nearest elementary school? Say what? He wants to know what happened to Andy. Mama. Venus asks, who's Mama? Jennifer explains she's Mr. Carlson's mother. She owns the station and hates rock and roll and everything connected with it. And everyone connected with it. No kidding. Bailey tells Venus she guesses he's used to this kind of thing in the radio game. Oh, this is my first... You know, you never get used to this. <laughs> it is so much fun to see this side of the Venus story. I love knowing what was happening out in the lobby. Mm-hmm. So Bailey tells Jennifer she's not going to stand by without a fight. She begins to walk towards Art's office door. She suddenly stops and turns back to Venus. Um, Mr. Rising, would you like to go in there? Is the big bad mama in there? Jennifer tells him, yeah. Not me. Jennifer tells Venus Andy is being fired in there. And if he's fired, you're fired. But I don't know any of those people. How can I help? Oh, you'll scare the hell out of her. (laughs) Bailey takes Venus by the arm. Yeah. You know, shock is a very effective weapon. You've got that going for Mm -hmm. you. Bailey asks him, what's he got to lose? Certainly not a job. (laughs) Bailey begins pushing Venus across the lobby to Mr. Carlson's office door. If I was in New Orleans now, I'd be recess. I'd be working on my lesson plan. (laughs) You remember how surprised we were during the pilot that Venus just walked in? Well, now we know why. Bailey gives him one last push and tells him to... Go right in. Don't knock. I would. Go ahead. You're cool. (laughs) Venus nods his head, but he can't seem to make himself move 
any closer to the door. He turns to look at Jennifer and Bailey. I'm thinking. (laughs) He continues to stand in front of the door. He gets a little bounce going and begins to nod as he stares at the closed door. And our perspective from the pilot is just this very self-assured guy coming in to the office. Full of all the confidence in the world. Ready to go. You have no idea that he's out there getting himself psyched up until now. Inside Art's office, we see Andy addressing Mrs. Carlson. This is the point where they marry up these new scenes to what was happening in Carlson's office during the pilot. Andy is making a turn we've seen before. Ma'am, well, I hate to say it, but I I personally cannot work that way. I guess I am fired. Andy starts to walk to the door. Wait a minute. Mr. Carlson faces his mother and defends Andy. You've been on my back for years to turn a profit here. Now, when I finally start doing something about it, you want to dump the station. I'll tell you something, Mama. He goes... I go. Mama is glaring at Art. What? Yeah, you got it. Arthur, you've never spoken to me in that tone of voice before. Yeah? Well, do you like it? (laughs) I hate it. But it's the first hint of backbone I've ever seen in you. This is so much fun getting to hear Carol Bruce do the same lines we heard from Sylvia Sidney in the pilot. Mrs. Carlson turns to look at Andy, who is leaning against the door, his hand on the doorknob. Young man, we'll play it your way for a while. You've got the deal. Andy thanks Mrs. Carlson. She tells him to proceed carefully. I warn you, nothing weird, nothing strange. This line has been added to the scene. Sylvia Sidney did not say this line in the original pilot episode, or if she did, it was cut from the final edit. It's like they thought they needed to add a little more spice to the Venus entrance. Andy assures her she doesn't need to worry about him. The door opens and it pushes Andy as Venus comes into the office. Andy, my man! Andy and Venus slap each other fives. Mrs. Carlson is staring at Venus. What is that? Still a good line. Andy and Venus are standing side by side at Art's door, recreating the exact shot from the pilot. We did a screen grab of this shot from Creation of Venus and put it right next to the same scene from the pilot. We noticed an interesting difference between these two scenes, which makes us want to pause here for a very cool story. Now, we've tried with every episode of the WKRP cast to give you some new tidbit or piece of interesting information about the show that you've never heard before. Like the story about Jerry Springer's help when it came to shooting the city all lit up. Or Tom Dreesen telling us about trying to crack up Frank Bonner. The real story behind Frank's parasailing accident as told to us by Christian Seaborn. We've found some cool new stuff for you fellow babies, but what we discovered with this episode has to go way up there on the list. When we put these two almost identical shots side by side, we noticed Venus did not have a beard in the pilot episode. He's only on camera for about a minute, and there's a lot happening around him. It's easy to miss a detail like that when watching. But looking at the stills, it becomes obvious Venus in the pilot has a mustache, but no beard. This seemed weird. Hasn't Venus always had a beard? It's part of his signature. And down the rabbit hole we go. So this raised the question, when do we first see Venus wearing a beard? Well, the research on this one was easy. Venus first has a beard in pilot part two, the very next episode. 
He shows up in the final two minutes after the big press conference. He talks to Carlson by the reception desk, and he very clearly has a full beard. From then on, we've never seen Venus without a beard. The pilot episode shot in March of 1978. For some reason, by the shooting of Pilot Part 2 in August of 1978, Tim Reed had grown a full beard. Tom Dreesen told us one of the reasons Tim doesn't do podcasts anymore is because he keeps getting asked the same old questions. He feels like all the answers are out there if you're willing to go find them. We sent a question to Tom and asked him if he would forward it on to Tim. We had a hunch it was not something Tim had been asked very often, if at all. Why did you grow a beard in the five months between the shoot date of the pilot and the shoot date of pilot part two? Tim's response blew us away. Tom said Tim answered right back. Tim didn't say if it was something he'd been asked before, but the fact he answered at all might be telling. This is Tim Reed's response to the question of growing a beard in Pilot Part 2. Quote, It was a personal decision. I thought it fit the character. At that time, black actors were not allowed to wear a beard on TV. The debate went all the way to the executives in New York. The late journalist Ed Bradley also decided to wear his beard on 60 Minutes. So he and I were the first black men allowed to wear a beard on primetime television. Unquote. And thank you, Tim Reed, for that fantastic answer. This, of course, sent us on a bit of a journey through the politics of beards. There's a lot to it going back centuries. If you're interested, you might want to do some Googling. By the 1970s, Tim was very right. There was a bias against black men with beards in all mass media, but especially on network television. A black man in a beard was considered menacing or threatening. We would like to note one exception. Red Fox, as Fred Sanford, does wear a beard on Sanford and Son. Oh, it's the worst one. This is a big one. I'm dying. You hear that, Elizabeth? I'm coming to join you, honey. This is most likely due to his age. Red didn't evoke a threatening Black Panther or Black Power image with his beard. He looked more like Uncle Remus of Disney fame. Wonderful feeling, wonderful day. Lamont, Fred's son, was not allowed to wear a beard and is only seen in a mustache throughout the series. Thank you, Tom Dreesen, for helping us out. And thank you, Tim Reed, for that interesting insight into the network politics of beards in late 1970s TV. I thought that was pretty cool. It was very interesting. It's still fun to find these interesting things, Mm -hmm. even as we're kind of tailing out here. Back to the recreated action Carlson's office. Andy points at Venus. May I introduce Mr. Venus Flytrap? Venus is caught off guard. Hey, what happened to Venus Rising? Andy's nerves got the better of him. He doesn't even realize he's made a mistake. Venus regains his cool and goes with the new last name. Uh, hey, little mama. (laughs) (laughs) 
And that was funnier for me because he was saying it to Carol Bruce. So Mrs. Carlson gives Venus a stern look. I beg your pardon. Andy tells them all Venus is the best nighttime DJ in the country. Andy has no problem lying about this stuff, does he? <laughs> I took the liberty of hiring him away from a station in New Orleans. Mrs. Carlson asked Venus if he had a big audience there. Biggest. Venus is smiling at Mrs. Carlson. Mrs. Carlson holds out her hand to Venus. Welcome to Cincinnati, Mr. Flytrap. Arthur? Yes, Mother? This doesn't work. I'll tear you down brick by brick. Mr. Carlson tells her they get the picture. (laughs) Mrs. Carlson gives Venus and Andy a look as she is leaving. Nice to have met you two. She turns towards the camera and looks up at the ceiling, rolling her eyes and shaking her head as she walks out of the office. This was another fun screen grab comparison. Both Ms. Sidney and Ms. Bruce are world class with their eye roll game. We have to give this one to Carol, but only because the framing of her eye roll shot is so much better in the recreation. We can chalk the cool framing up to Gordon Jump. Okay, so now that Mama's gone, and just because we can, and because it's fun, let's compare some of those lines that were repeated from the pilot. Check it out. The first cut will be from the pilot followed by the same line recreated for this episode. Now remember, Sylvia Sidney is playing Mama Carlson in the pilot, Carol Bruce in the recreation. Let me tell you something. If he goes, I go. What? That's what I said. I think you've never spoken to me that way before. Yeah, well, do you like it? <laughs> I hate it. But it's the first time I've seen any sign of backbone in you. He goes, I go. What? Yeah, you got it. Arthur. You've never spoken to me in that tone of voice before. Yeah? Well, do you like it? I hate it. Oh. But it's the first hint of backbone I've ever seen in you. Young man, we'll try it your way for a while. You've got a deal. Young man, we'll play it your way for a while. You've got the deal. What is that? What is that? Did you have a big audience there? The biggest. Welcome to Cincinnati, Mr. Flytrap. Arthur? Yes, Mother? If this doesn't work, I'll tear you down brick by brick. Do you have a big audience there? The biggest. Welcome to Cincinnati, Mr. Flytrap. Arthur? Yes, Mother? If this doesn't work, I'll tear you down brick by brick. Okay, so that was fun, but now let's get back to the episode. Once the door has closed, Venus points at it and says, That's a mean little mama. You bet. Andy asks Herb and Les to show Venus around the station. Herb strides over to the door, telling Venus he has some ideas about the nighttime show. Les goes up to Venus. I do the sports news here, Mr. Flytrap. I don't know if you've noticed, but there certainly are a lot of Negroes in sports. Les goes on out the door. Venus stands for a bit and then... Say what? He follows Les out the door. And that say what sounded almost identical to the pilot say what. Oh, did it? Yeah, check it out. Here's a comparison. The pilot. Say what? And Venus just now. Say what? Pretty darn close. These were all more great screen grab comparisons. The actors did an amazing job recreating the scene as they all exit the office. In the side-by-side comparison, you can see the added space in the set of Carlson's office. We will post some of our screen grab comparisons to our Facebook page. Make sure to find us on Facebook 
by searching at WKRPCast. We cut to the standard studio hallway shot. Les, Venus, and Herb come through the door at the end of the hallway. Les is still explaining his theory. Willie Mays, Jesse Owens, Cassius Clay, and Muhammad Ali. <laughs> Quick side note to Les. Clay and Ali are the same person. Cassius Clay took the name Muhammad Ali on March 6th, 1964, after announcing he had accepted the teachings of Islam. The three get to the studio window and look in. We hear Wavelength by Van Morrison playing over the air. We get a long shot in the studio where we can see Johnny taking records out of their jacket (laughs) covers, breaking them and tossing them into the air. He's dancing around the studio as he destroys the old record library. The floor is covered with broken pieces of records. You know, we only got to see him break that one in the pilot, and you could tell how much he loved breaking that (laughs) one that was sitting on the turntable. So this is great seeing him breaking everything. All that pent-up frustration. that, That aggression. The new format song Johnny's supposed to be playing is Wavelength by Van Morrison. Now, if you're watching on the Shot Factory disc and thinking, that's not the wavelength I remember, you'd be right. What you're hearing is a cover version. This is the difference between copyright and publishing right. The copyright holder is Van Morrison. He said no to using his performance in the show. The publishing rights are held by someone else. The publisher said, sure, you can use a performance of the song, just not Van's. So MTM handed it off to a cover band. Wavelength is the title cut from Van Morrison's 1978 album, so the timing is right for the flashback. The single was considered a bit of a comeback for Morrison. It peaked at number 42 on the Hot 100. Although Wavelength was heralded as Morrison's return to hit-making, it would actually wind up being his last Hot 100 entry. Herb motions to the studio. Now in here is what we in the business call the... uh... DJ booth, right. Venus points through the window at Johnny and asks what he's doing. It's what we in the business call breaking records. Yeah, we got the largest collection of Mitch Miller, Montavani, and Montenegro. <laughs> no offense. Venus reacts to Herb's comment with an exasperated look, but Herb is already in motion again. He points to the door leading to the bullpen and tells Venus they want to show him the nerve center of WKRP. Les excitedly moves ahead to open the door. That would be the news department. Les leads the way into the bullpen. As we're leaving the studio hallway, we wanted to point something out. No posters. Getting the station back to pre-rock and roll seems to have meant taking down all of the posters. Les takes Venus by the arm, saying he wants to show him his office. Les ushers Venus over to his office and takes out his keys. He unlocks his invisible door, opens it, and walks in. Now, these lines represent where walls will someday be. Les throws his (laughs) arms up in the air. Walls! Venus jumps back, wondering what he has gotten himself into. Venus gives Herb a look as Les shows off his awards. These are my Buckeye Newshawk Awards. I have more awards than anyone else at this station. You see, WKRP is just a stepping stone in this reporter's career. Herb leans forward. Les, you've been here 24 years. (laughs) Which is 
correct if we go off the date of the Christmas party flashback from Bah Humbug. We've gotten a lot of different years and dates out of Mr. Nesman over the years, but we did get that 1954 from Bah Humbug. So if the pilot is in 1978, that would put Les at the station 24 years. Herb grabs Venus's arm, pulling him toward his desk. Herb slaps the top of his desk with his open hands. This desk is the nerve center, Mr. Claptrap. Les comes walking back over to Venus. Mr. Claptrap. I could tell you farming stories that would curl your hair. Herb is motioning to Les to stop. (laughs) Venus's hair is already pretty curly. The joke gets a decent laugh as Johnny walks into the bullpen with his coffee mug. Hello, fellow babies. Did you know that some chickens don't have teeth? I do have an update for Mr. Nesman on chicken teeth. No modern chickens have teeth. But in 2006, biologists made an interesting announcement about chicken teeth. They discovered even though chickens don't have teeth, they do have the genes necessary to grow teeth. The gene function has been shut off over the centuries of evolution. All birds, according to researchers, have a dormant tooth-growing gene. They believe the gene is a holdover from the archosaurs, a class of reptile that had teeth but would eventually evolve into toothless beak-using birds. Scientists say having unused genetic structures like the tooth gene in chickens is pretty common. Get this, this is really weird. Snakes have a gene for limbs they just don't use it. It seems like they would want that. It'd be easier it than got slithering. Shut off. I don't know. <laughs> it got shut off over the years of evolution. That gene is just no longer used, but it is there. They could grow limbs if it were somehow activated. Well, I'm glad I know about the tooth gene and chickens <laughs> chicken, now. <laughs> chicken teeth gene. Johnny comes over to the group and asks if they've been listening to his show. Oh, that's Johnny Caravella. Johnny tells them he used to be Johnny Caravella. I changed my name this morning on the air. Now I'm... <laughs> Johnny's trying to remember his new name. Herb points to Venus. Fetus Claptrap. No, that, that's not it. Venus Flytrap. No, no. Uh, professor something, I think. Venus is looking at all of them as if they were crazy, and he's in the middle of a nut farm. Oh, he's going to be wondering when he moved from New Orleans <laughs> to this. What has he gotten himself into? So Herb turns to Venus. Anyway, about that uh, nighttime show of yours, what are your plans? Uh, Venus tells Herb he plans to play some records. Beyond that, really not a lot of plans. Johnny, still searching his memory, trying to recall his new name. Brother Vibe? Uh... <laughs> he decides to check the coffee mug. He reads all of the names listed there. Sunshine, Duke, Style, Cool, Midnight, Nah. Uh, no, that's not it. Johnny looks up and points, thinking he's got it. Officers. No, I would never do that. <laughs> no, no, not that. Venus looks at Johnny. That uh, was Dr. Johnny Fever. I heard you this morning. You were great, man. Fever. Huh, I better write that down. Johnny goes to the DJ's desk. Andy enters the bullpen and asks everyone how it's going. He asks Venus how it's going and slaps him on the back. Andy, may I speak with you privately? Sure. You could use my office. Les motions to his office. (laughs) 
I got something to tell you, pal. Just get me out of here, please. As they head to the door leading to the studio hallway, Andy tells Johnny he did a good job this morning. He's not on him yet about not playing the hits. That'll come later. <laughs> as soon as they are in the hallway and the door shuts behind them, Venus says, Andy, what the hell is going on? We hear new song by The Who playing over the speakers, and Andy is excited. We did it. I just got through talking with Carlson. He is fully committed. He should be. All of you should be. (laughs) And I did like that line, all of you should be. And he tells Venus that old lady Carlson loves him. She bought the entire act. Venus asks Andy where he got the name Flytrap. Well, Andy says he doesn't know. It's just weird. Right in there tonight in that booth, you're going to become a star. Starting tonight, I'm a plant that eats bugs. The song we're hearing on the air throughout the hallway scene is New Song by The Who. This was a cut from their August of 1978 album, Who Are You? So keeping it tight to the time period of the flashback. New Song was Pete Townsend's screed against FM radio. He said they were wanting artists to do clones of their established hits, which sounds about right. (laughs) He said New Song would never get airplay because of the subject matter. Also, because it was never released as a single. We're going to talk about a Venus flytrap. Yes, for 86 episodes, (laughs) we've avoided giving out a definition of a Venus flytrap. We were waiting for just the right moment. And what could be better than an episode called The Creation of Venus? The Venus flytrap is truly a carnivorous plant indigenous to the United States. It eats bugs to survive. It is native to subtropical wetlands on the east coast of both North and South Carolina. It was first documented in 1759 by the colonial governor of North Carolina, Arthur Dobbs. He penned the first written description of the plant, calling it a, quote, catch fly sensitive. Subsequent studies have revealed interesting details about the Venus flytrap. It will prepare to close if an insect or crawling spider contacts a sensitive hair on the open leaf of the plant. It won't close immediately. It waits for another contact within approximately 20 seconds of the first strike to confirm something moving. It wants to make sure this is a real hit with nutrient potential, not a false alarm, like a falling leaf. After closing over the prey, the Venus flytrap will only begin digestion if it gets at least five more stimuli ensuring a live bug. The plant doesn't want to waste energy on digesting something that's not actually a meal. After decades of study, scientists still don't fully understand how the mechanism actually flips closed to trap prey. The Venus flytrap is cultivated for sale, but the population of the Venus flytrap in the wild has dwindled rapidly. A 1979 population estimate indicated 4.5 million individual plants. In 2019, that number was down by a shocking 93% to only about 300,000 individual plants. The Venus flytrap is listed as vulnerable to extinction, and it is on the protected species list. They are very popular as houseplants, but beware of taking on the responsibility of a Venus flytrap. They can live for up to 30 years. 
I want one now. Yeah, it sounds cool. Yeah, we could leave it in our will to our daughter. <laughs> to keep it, keep it alive. Venus suddenly realizes what Andy said. Tonight? What are you talking about? That's right, you go on 8 o'clock. Tonight? Yeah. But I'm not ready, I'm scared. You're a hit. I'm scared. You're a hit. Jennifer comes walking down the hall. Congratulations, Andy. You too, Mr. Rising. Mm-hmm. Andy corrects her, telling her it's flytrap. Mr. Venus Flytrap. Oh, like the plant that eats bugs. How exotic. <laughs> Jennifer goes into the bullpen. Venus turns to Andy. He is panicking about going on tonight. Andy tells Venus to just let himself go. You got the talent for it. It's what's inside. Props. I need some props. <laughs> Musical props. Andy tells Venus, I'll get him a flute. Fine. I-, I can't play the flute. How about an accordion? <laughs> Andy doesn't like the accordion idea. He suggests wind chimes. Well, Venus says he can't play wind chimes, but I'm thinking, how much playing is there with wind chimes? Johnny comes out of the bullpen door and stops. He's looking at Venus. They just met in the bullpen three minutes ago. Do I know you? Venus tells him, yeah. Yeah, I'm Venus Flytrap. Right. Johnny walks up to him and they shake hands. Venus Flytrap, I've been hearing about you for years, man. (laughs) Really. We finally meet at last. We're going to get along just fine. I'm Johnny. (laughs) Johnny is looking around trying to remember his new name. He turns and heads to the door leading to the bullpen. I'll be right back. Johnny disappears into the bullpen. We're pretty sure he wrote it down. Now, if he can just find it. Do you think Johnny has gotten more coherent over the years since we first met Johnny? He seems a little more aware of things. Remember in the pilot, he just came into Andy's office and fell asleep on the couch, and he was just so completely out of it, and here he can't remember his name. It just seems like in more recent episodes, Johnny's a little more on top of things. Yeah, I think so. He has kind of elevated his performance a well, little bit. Well, and maybe the, the... More in tune. The regular stability of the job at KRP and... Uh, Maybe the relationship with Bailey. He's maybe cleaning uh, himself up a little bit. I don't maybe. know. Maybe. So Venus points as the door closes behind Johnny. Now that guy's great. He doesn't know his name, but he's still great. Venus tells Andy, Johnny's got a gimmick. He calls his people fellow babies. That's a nice gimmick. Andy agrees. He tells Venus he has to go, but Venus frantically asks Andy, what's he going to call his people? Uh, anything. What do you used to call your uh, kids in school? Uh, imps. Rascals. Little rats. <laughs> Disgusting little stuff and things. Hoodlums! Hoodlums. He just walks away, shaking his head. It's time for our first ever continuity error slash poster watch. Yay? <laughs> After Andy leaves the studio hallway, flashback Venus is pacing back and forth, doing his monologue about what he used to call his kids. As he does this, he pulls the studio door open. It's only open for a second, but DVD means the luxury of the freeze frame. We noticed on the door opened by Flashback Venus, you could see the Grover Washington and George Carlin posters from the present day scene with Mama. The studio set hadn't been converted yet for the Johnny flashback scenes and Venus opened the door. Oops. Oops. It took me like three times before I saw that. But after I saw that, I didn't even notice when it. he pulled that open and I finally realized what we were looking at. I'm like, oh, that's so cool. They, <laughs> they messed up. We've got a big transition with an outside evening shot of Cincinnati. We hear wind chimes playing as Venus is doing a talk over. And so, students, uh, my children, this is Venus Flytrap. 
inviting you to join me on a telescope ride of incredible distances and joyous harmonies as we spin, soar, and somersault into the night of knee-deep velvet. Now a little taste of honey. Boogie oogie oogie by Taste of Honey begins to play. Venus picks up a big bass drumstick and hits the gong. quite a bit louder than he expected, causing him to jump and grab the gong to quiet it down. We must be hearing a different part of his show in this clip. The first song we heard him play on the air during the pilot was Dance, 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 Yowza, Yowza, Yowza. We do hear him play Boogie, Oogie, Oogie on his show, but not until the episode Bailey's show. We jump to current day in the studio where Andy and Venus are talking to Mrs. Carlson. So you see, Mrs. Carlson, we did bend the truth just a little bit, but we had to. The station needed Venus. It needed to know it had a sure winner. You can understand that. No. Andy tells her they did it for the station. Oh, knock it off, Andrew. I hate nobility. You were thinking of your own hide and you know it. Andy is left standing with his mouth open, not knowing what to say. Mrs. Carlson asks Venus what he has to say. I guess we were fooling around just a little. <laughs> Indeed you were, with my money and my station. Venus tells her it worked. If it hadn't been for that little game, I would have never found Venus. Mrs. Carlson gives a look to Andy and Venus. You know, you're both a couple of con artists, but you never fooled me for a minute. Andy walks closer to Mrs. Carlson and puts his hand on her shoulder. Come on now, Mrs. Carlson, now admit it. You bought the act. She pushes Andy's hand off. Her shoulder. I never buy anything. After I heard your preposterous story, I did a little digging. Shall I tell you what I learned? Mama has walked over, so she is standing in front of Venus, who's sitting on the console. Venus leans around to where he can see Andy. Andy? (laughs) Mrs. Carlson fixes her gaze on Venus, like Mama would let someone on the station she didn't know. You taught chemistry full-time. You worked at a radio station part-time. You love the classics. You've never been married. Your parents divorced when you were young. You were raised by your grandmother. And you play the accordion. (laughs) We can hear Andy laughing. Andy looks at Venus. Come on, you do play the accordion. And you, Mr. Travis, collect baseball cards. There's nothing funny about that. (laughs) And you wet the bed till you were seven. Now it's Venus who is laughing. Andy takes a seat on the stool, and suddenly he's had enough truth for one day. I was just getting warmed up. (laughs) Well, I think I'll motor over to my son's house and tell him a few things he'd rather not hear. She picks up her purse and moves towards the door. Nice talking to you, Mrs. Carlson. Well, I wouldn't have missed it for the world. (laughs) She gives one last stern look to Andy and walks out of the studio. The door slams behind her. That is a mean little mama. (laughs) Andy has his head in his hands, and he's rubbing his temples as he stands. (laughs) Till you were seven. (laughs) Venus is laughing uncontrollably. Andy stares at him as he opens the door to leave. Andy pulls a piece of paper off the bulletin board and takes it with him into the hallway. There's a beat. Then the door opens, and Andy throws the wadded-up paper at Venus's head, but he misses. Check Andy's hand as he shuts off the studio lights. His hand is nowhere near the switch, <laughs> but the lights go off anyway. Andy runs. Venus runs after him. Venus opens the bullpen door and heads in. We see Andy come back down the hallway and hide behind the studio door the same way he did in the cold open. He squats down, waiting. 
He sees a shadow and jumps, tackling the person. The camera freezes on Andy, looking up to see Mr. Carlson looking down in surprise. Now, you'd think Andy would have learned after the first tackle debacle. Yeah, and he still hasn't gotten Venus. (laughs) So that's going to do it for the creation of Venus, a fun episode and a cool new detail that we found in there about Tim Reed and his beard. So, Donna, what is up for next week? This is an important programming note, my children. We've hit the point where the listing on the DVD and what has always been the accepted final order of WKRP episodes changes a lot. Thanks to Michael Hernandez, the accountant of rock, for his research into the actual air dates of these episodes. For the next two weeks, the two new episodes of WKRP that had been scheduled do not air. Next week on April 7th, instead of running Impossible Dream like we've always thought, CBS dropped in a rerun of the Kenny Rogers movie, Coward of the County, from 9 p.m. until 11 p.m. The next week on Wednesday, April 14th, we've always been told the WKRP episode to air is human rant. It was listed that way until 2022 on IMDb, and it's how the episodes are listed on the Shot Factory DVDs. According to Michael Hernandez, that's a big nope. On April 14th of 1982, CBS, in sweaty desperation you can almost smell, reran a two-parter, Dukes of Hazard from 9 to 11. So that makes the next episode of WKRP the one they aired on April 21st. This is the one we've always believed was the last first-run episode of the series, but it's not. We'll still have two more after this one. So, what is our next episode, Donna? We will be ready for Up and Down the Dial. Andy has some big news for the WKRP staff. The station has moved up in the ratings to number six. Venus is number one in his time slot, and Johnny is number one overall in the market. Arthur Carlson is thrilled. Mama Carlson, not so much. She hires a new news director, and word is, she's going to change the format. The whole gang will be out of their jobs. Johnny decides to have it out with her, and her true motivations about the station are revealed. That's going to do it for this episode of the WKRP cast. If you'd like to watch along with us, make sure to check our show notes. You can find us on social media. Follow our Facebook page at WKRPcast. For more WKRP fun, become a patron. Go to patreon.com slash WKRPcast for behind-the-scenes fun, full interviews, and more. Got a question, comment, or correction? Let us know about it. Write us, wkrpcast at gmail.com. And remember to please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening. Bye now. May the good news be yours. The WKRP cast is not endorsed by MTM Enterprises, Shout Factory, or CBS. This podcast is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. WKRP in Cincinnati, the WKRP logo, and all names, pictures, and audio of WKRP in Cincinnati characters are registered trademarks of MTM, CBS, Shout Factory, or their respective copyright holders. Almost forgot, fellow babies. Booger!